This is a message from the ministry of the International Baptist Church of Debrecen. For more information about our church, visit ibcdebrecen.com. The Advent, a season of looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Now wait a second, what do you mean, looking forward to the coming of Jesus? Well, we look three ways. We looked at forward thanking that Jesus came to us in the past and that he comes to us now in the present. He's at work around us and he still comes. And we look forward to the fact that Jesus will once again come in his fullness and finally. So this morning, or afternoon, as was already noted, I still can never learn that, we are focusing on joy. So I want to ask you a question about joy and as it relates to gift giving. Do you like surprises? Do you like a surprise gift or do you like to plan things out? So I just need to know. So I'm going to take a little poll. If you are one who likes to be surprised, raise your hand. Okay. If you are one who would rather not be surprised but kind of know a little bit of what's coming. <laughs> you know, we're about half and half on this. Well, the good news for you this morning who like to be surprised is that the gift of joy was surprising. And it is surprising. Um, I want you to go to the gospel according to Luke. And we're going to look at the second chapter, uh, a passage. It is a, a well-known uh, Advent or Christmas narrative. I mean, it is the story of the announcement of the coming of Jesus. So I, I want to read that. Um, and it is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. From verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is part of Luke's perspective account of how the announcement of the coming of Jesus was made. And it's one of the most it's an announcement. The one of the most, the most significant thing history has ever recorded. The coming of the work, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and this is the start. This is the announcement. What could be more charming, right? Can you just picture shepherds? I mean, you've seen the pictures, right? Shepherds and calm, heated hills, and, and there, there's a stars, it's a clear sky at night, of course. Somehow the weather's good. And the animals that are there, they're all cuddly and friendly. You know, that's the picture. And sometimes they even put an angel in that picture. But I want to tell you that when we put an angel in a picture, it sort of changes things. You, you don't get 
the, the coming peaceful image because angels were a little bit scary. Uh, and you might notice this in the Bible because they, they tend to say things like, do not be afraid. In fact, you read several accounts of angels saying things that don't be afraid, do not be afraid. It's like they have to learn this in angel school. They have it. The instructor said, now listen up, angels. You're going to go down there and you're going to give them a message, but you have to make sure they're not afraid or they won't hear you. So start out by saying, do not be afraid. So the angels, they, they have an announcement to share, and no doubt it's true, about this passage. In verses 10 through 11, we see, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, the angel had an important message. And that's why he came to be a little paradigm. As scripture says, they have an important message. So we have to pay attention to it. How does, and so we have to ask, how does this message of good news, which is announcing the birth of Jesus, cause great joy? Now that's, that's the question. We're going to boil it all down to this question this afternoon. What is the joy in a relationship with Jesus? First of all, it is an unexpected joy. This is for you folks who like surprises. Actually, it's for everybody. But the first thing you know is that the joy is unexpected. It means that you can't plan it. You can't control it. And you definitely can't create it in your own strength. God's joy is unpredictable. It's a work through the Holy Spirit. It's all around us, and that's what we see with the shepherds in this account. They weren't expecting good news on that night. In fact, they were just minding their own business, doing shepherdly things. Uh, nothing special about the shepherds that night, and nothing special about being a shepherd. Uh, some folks will tell us, that, uh, looking at the history of the vocation of shepherding, that shepherds in those days were kind of like average work. Uh, I don't know what the equivalent of that would be here in Deverton. Uh, average work. I don't know what that would be. I don't even know what Office work. Office, not like that. Office work of the day. Uh, some commentators would tell you that it was not really even average. That it was, he was kind of work for the outcast people. For, it was kind of the, the work that nobody wanted to do. The undesirable work. And I can tell you, because I, I grew up with horses and sheep and cows and goats, that sometimes the things you have to do with animals is undesirable. There's a lot of stories for another day, I can tell you, about that. So either way, uh, these shepherds are people who, who knew difficult and bad times and situations, and maybe, maybe they needed to hear the message of joy more than anyone else. The Messiah was coming, not just to the religious people, not to the wealthy people, just to the wealthy people, but first the news was going to go to the unacceptable people, to the people who were shepherds. Maybe they needed this message of courage. And it makes sense, because throughout his ministry, Jesus paid attention to those who were the least, the lost, and the left behind. Those who were the outsiders of the day. To those who seemingly had less to be joyful about, God first announced his message of joy. I like that. Because that's the unexpected thing about joy. 
God wants you to know joy. Even if you don't know you need to have it. He seeks you out. He comes in surprising ways. He wants you to experience the good news of forgiveness, of abundant and eternal life. The shepherds were able to experience a taste of genuine joy firsthand. And the day they arrived in that stable was a day that their lives changed forever. Luke says in in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That short moment of intimacy, we can only imagine what that was really like. Some of you with infants, and, and, and that they're close, this is kind of a season of, of giving birth, and, and you can imagine a little better than the rest of us. But it's such a moment of intimacy, just a few moments in the direct presence of God had given them a life's new meaning and direction. So the question, what is the joy in a relationship with Jesus? First, it's unexpected. It's an unexpected joy. And secondly, it's worth everything you have. Jesus teaches about this life, the value of life in the kingdom of God, and having a relationship with God that's personal and in proper position. Personal and proper position. Meaning that Jesus is the Lord of your life and not yourself. There's a parable in the gospel according to Matthew in which Jesus makes this so clear. It comes from Matthew 13, uh, just a couple of words, verses 44 through 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought. The first, you, the first thing we need to see from these two parables is that you can't find God by searching. Uh, it's an obvious example of the merchant looking for pearls because he's a he's a he's a pearl expert. I don't know, maybe he's read the book Pearl Searching for Diamonds. He knows something about searching for pearls. And so he's looking for pearls and, and he finds them. But so too is the man who found the treasure in the field. And sometimes we, we read this parable and we think of oh, this guy just walking around in the field, he stumbles across a, a, a hidden treasure, a chest, a pirate, you know. Uh, we get that image in our mind. But uh, it's probably not the way it happened. Because in the days of Jesus, and historians tell us this, that hiding <coughs> valuables in the ground was common practice. I mean, there were, there were no banks in those days. Uh, no no uh, storage units, rental storage places. I mean, if you had something valuable, you had to find a way to keep it secure. Palestine, the whole area, was a battleground for centuries. And so families, they would do this. They would bury their valuable clothing and their, their jewelry and their money and, and all the items in the fields to protect them from the plundering soldiers. And so over the years, it's, it's been said that the ground of Palestine had become a, a veritable treasure house. And when the owner of the treasure, the buried treasure, would die, sometimes they would forget where it was. And so he would be lost until someone found it. It was actually common in those days for someone to bury a field, uh, bury a treasure in a field, and someone to buy that field and discover the treasure later. 
And I know I keep looking for those treasures in my yard. It's, it's not there. I thought, well, maybe you found something. Here you are. <laughs> Sometimes, treasure seekers, they would even search out properties that they think might contain certain treasures. This is probably what this man did. There was a property for sale, and when he examined it, he discovered the treasure. In the same way, finding God becomes, it's a result of looking for him with the intention of finding him. You don't just stumble your way into the kingdom. You don't accidentally become righteous. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to accept that you ever want it. The Bible says in Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. I love that verse because it's so clear. God wants you to seek a relationship with him. He wants us to look for him. And when we seek him, we are guaranteed to find him. It's his promise. He wants us to seek him. The important thing in this passage, really, what I want to point out here is what happens after you find the treasure. The reaction of the man in the field and the pearl merchant were exactly identical. Each of them sold everything they had in order to purchase, to get what they recognized as valuable. This spiritual, it's a spiritual parallel, it's obvious. It means a relationship with Jesus is more valuable than anything you own. There's an old hymn that goes, I don't know if you're familiar with this hymn, it says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than riches untold. It's a beautiful song. When you consider all that you have, all that you can hope to accomplish in life on our own, all that you can hope to accumulate, all that you can accomplish and do and become, and it doesn't add up compared to all that God offers. Now, I want to share with you even a way that I experienced that. We, when we moved to Hungary six years ago, it was, it was about six years ago last month, and when we moved here, we didn't know what our ministry would do, what we would we'd be doing. Uh, Amanda was teaching in the school that much we knew, uh, but I, I kind of came as the tagalong. Uh, they really wanted Amanda's help, but they figured, well, we'll plug him in, he'll do something. So we get here, and we do, as, as common for missionaries, a, a language study. We did a year of language study, which you know is not enough, uh, which is why we continue to study. But after the year of language study, we, we began to discern with our Hungarian partners what kind of ministry we should start. And so we decided, actually, they decided that, that we should start with an English-speaking Bible study. And it should be on Monday night. And it should meet every other week. Now, I have to tell you, when, when we prayed and we discerned and that was the solution, that was the, the discernment, I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, you know, I, I, I just spent a year studying Hungarian. And, and it wanted me to teach English Bible study. Of course, it may have been a reflection of my study in Hungarian. But you know, in Debrecen, and they knew in Debrecen, we just didn't know. But they knew there was a need for an English speaking ministry. And so we started 
with the plan, a Bible study on Monday night, every other Monday night, and uh, our first occasion, I think we had five people for the, for the Bible study. A couple weeks later, well, we had maybe six people. A couple weeks later, we had seven people. And this continued for a few months with about seven people. And then some of the, the graduate students, they, they graduated, they, they moved to new places and, and got jobs, and our numbers started to decline. And so we went to five, and then we were down to three people about the study, and two of them were men and I. <laughs> and so we're, we're feeling really discouraged. And I prayed, I said, Lord, have you sent us to Debertson Hungary to do a Bible study for three people? I started praying the exit prayer strategy. Have you ever never heard of that? It's, it's when you start praying, Lord, help me. I, I want, is there something else I'm supposed to be doing? Lord, what's the way out? And we began to pray that prayer, and, and we didn't really get much of an answer from the Lord, other than he just said, wait, just wait. It wasn't very long after that prayer that the Lord sent a young couple to the Bible study, and they were so encouraged. They were encouraging it to us. And I said, can we help? They said, can we meet every week? And we said, yes, yes, yes. And so we started to meet every week. And they brought their friends. And their friends brought their friends. And, and before long, within a couple of months, two or three months, we were meeting 40 or 50 people from all over the world. I've got a slide that just kind of represents uh, some of the countries that have been impacted and touched by the English Bible study. It was a couple of years after the beginning of this Bible study that we began to sense God was wanting to build a community. We wanted the community to grow, and we prayed and, and prayed and thought that the Lord wanted us to begin a church, a Sunday gathering, worship opportunity. But we had a problem. The problem was a space problem. Sometimes we have those problems, space problems. And so we... We, we, you know, we were meeting here, actually, in this, this room, and uh, we weren't, we wanted to do something like on a Sunday, and it was busy. All the whole room, everything was, the whole church building was busy, we had no place. So when we told our partners about this problem, they said, you know what, we've got an idea. In fact, we have a place for you. And then they began to talk about a place that I remember visiting four years previous. We began to talk about a, a room that's called the Benita uh, facility. And, and I remember that building because when we first arrived in Hungary, the pastor took us up to this room in this building. It was being renovated, and I thought it was about to fall down. Um, and I was up with the pastor, and he, he said, You know what? I have a vision that someday a church will be here. I wasn't sure I believed it. So I took out my, my camera and I took a picture. In fact, I have a picture of that space. Little did I know, four years later, that the Lord would prepare that space, that the vision was in fact <coughs> that there was going to be a church there. And we were. That's where we met our first Sunday. That's this church met there our first few Sundays. You know, a couple of things that... Uh, I learned from that. First of all, God always has space for you. God always has a place. Even if you can't see it, even if you don't know where it is, God has a place and he's preparing that place for you. But you know this story uh, because we're here today. 
And, and because we're all part of God's work in this surprising way. This wasn't a plan. This, this congregation wasn't anybody's plan other than God's plan. And I like this story because it's not my story. It's not about our ingenuity or our training or even our resources. From the very beginning, it was God's plan. His presence and His power work. What I want to say is that God's presence, His power, His work in your life is always worth it. You see, that's the joy. It's worth absolutely everything you have. It's worth your finances. It's worth your relationships. It's worth your goals. It is worth your dreams. Because nothing beats the joy you will find in relationship with Jesus. When you follow him and see his work in you and through you. So the question, again, what is the joy in relationship with Jesus? First of all, it's unexpected joy. Secondly, it's worth everything you have. And thirdly, it cannot be taken from you. I love this one. I love this. In fact, one of the most famous passages about the topic of joy comes from the book of James. Some of you are going to say, Pastor, you really don't go there. Uh, we were in an African-American congregation. They said, Pastor, are we going to go there? And we're going to go there. Uh, because I want you to read James chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Mm-hmm. That perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Did I read that correctly? Jesus says there's joy. And then what is he drinking? <laughs> is there joy in the midst of trials? It's hot. Because most people don't enjoy trials. In fact, most of us do everything we can to avoid trials. In fact, sometimes the only joy we can find is when we escape the trials. That's why this passage seems so odd. James is actually saying this, that there is joy in the midst of a trial. How can you experience joy when the world seems to be falling apart around you? How can you walk with a smile in your heart when you are in the midst of a great struggle? James is saying, there is joy in the midst of a trial. But it has nothing to do with the power of positive thinking. Now, I want to get this straight. It is not a button you can switch in your mind. Uh, if I just think positively, uh, if I just, you know, do this, if I just you know, control my thoughts, if, you know, it is not a thing that you can achieve in your own strength. It is an external reality given to you by Jesus. James is writing to people who were well acquainted with trials, with pain and challenges. In this time, most of these Christians were facing severe trials to the point of losing their homes and their jobs and their securities. They they had to flee for their lives because of persecution around them. And James is considered pure joy. James not only instructs us to face trials with joy, but pure joy. What is that? <coughs> well, in the Greek text, this word pure comes from a, a primary word being uh, all, or every, or whole, or thoroughly. James is telling us not to fake it. 
You don't get the fake charm. You don't get to do that. It's a full body, all-encompassing, thorough joy. In other words, it is the real authentic joy. James tells us that, that there are trials, that these are trials of many kinds. I suppose we don't have to imagine, right, the kinds of trials that there could be. Sometimes we face trials when we, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes we face trials when we mess up. Have you ever messed up? You don't have to answer that. I know the answer. Sometimes the consequences of our, of our actions and, and our decisions, it causes trouble. It causes trial in our life. And you know what? You know what? There is still joy when Jesus is at work. And sometimes we know the trials we face, they, they don't come because we mess up. They come because we follow Jesus. You know that. When you choose to follow Jesus, you will anticipate a certain kind of trial just because you follow Jesus. That the people, not everybody's going to cheer you. There will be people who will plot against you. People who will talk behind your back. People who will come up with false accusations. Just because you faithfully follow Jesus. And do you know what? There is still joy. Amen. And sometimes we face trials and we don't even know why. We don't even know. We're like Job in the book of Job. You know, Job didn't know the book of Job was being written. <laughs> it was just Job. And there are trials in his life. Sometimes we can only trust that God is at work. And you know what? There is joy. There's joy. Because when you are with Christ, nothing can take that away. In Christ, you have life, hope, peace, joy. And you know that the best is yet to come. And you know that even in the midst of it, there is a special blessing. Remember the story in Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3 tells us about these evil men who were thrown into a fiery furnace by King Porter, King Nebuchadnezzar. The furnace was so hot that it burned the guards, throwing the three of these guys in there. And when they get into this fiery furnace for not bowing down, for not acknowledging the kings as Lord, they get thrown into the fire. And somehow they have a good time in that fire. <laughs> they are preserved. And the king sees, I love this part, the king sees four men walking into the flames. He put three of them, but there's four in there. Daniel 3 25 says, He said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire. I'm now, I'm hard. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Hmm, who is that? In the blaze of this fire, God was at work in the most powerful way. Jesus was right there. A friend of mine, he gave me some advice one time. He said, Don't ever let a trial go by without screaming. Don't let it get sad. The facing of trials, the testing of our faith can be such a blessing. If we look and see how God is at work in our life, we can find authentic joy in the midst of any trial simply because Jesus is Lord and God is at work. So that we may be mature, complete, lacking nothing, and something to get excited about, no matter what. And it's a promise. Romans 8 28 says, And we know that in all things, by the way, that's all things, not most things, not some things, not good things, but all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. 
It's a promise from God. And finally, there's one more slide I want us to point out from James. He reminds us in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There are immediate benefits from preservation, uh, perseverance. Sorry. Immediate benefits from hanging in there, from sticking to it. But there's an ultimate benefit that supersedes It is the gift of eternal life, which no one can be against. Life is not always fair, nor are the victories always so obvious. But for the Christian, one thing we can be sure of, ultimate victory is in Jesus Christ. So what's the joy in a relationship with Jesus? It's unexpected. It's worth everything you have, and it cannot be taken from you. I don't know. I don't know what you're experiencing right now. Uh, Debrancing is it's hard to dark. If Debrance is kind of dark time in December. There isn't light. There's not much light. You know, and weather doesn't cooperate with us. And you know, they're also testing exams. If you're a student, I don't know any students who get excited about that. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough time. And there are spiritual battles raging around us. We know this. It can all seem so down and discouraging, but it doesn't have to defeat you. Because in Christ, there is always joy. If, if you know Jesus, then you know what I'm talking about. But, because you know where to find But if you don't know joy, if you can't seem to find it, let me introduce you to Jesus. Because Jesus is part of the greatest joy you will ever know. In fact, heaven kind of gets excited about that. I'll read one more passage. Because all of heaven will rejoice when the lost become found. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, he goes home, and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. The gospel message has the power to change your life today. I mean, we get excited about it, but I tell you, the Lord and all of Rejoices in the glory of Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your work in this church. We thank you for your promise of your presence. And all these things you are working in. Because of you, there is joy. Not, not a, a, a fake joy, but an authentic joy in our lives. Lord, help us to know you, to depend on you, help us to see all. We thank you. We thank you and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and your time today. If your curiosity has been piqued and you'd like to learn more about our church and the work we do, please feel free to visit our website at ibcdebretson.com. Better yet, we warmly invite you to join us in person and experience our community firsthand. We look forward to welcoming you.